This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Lift every voice and sing the song that's also known as the Black National Anthem. What's the meaning of this song and where did it come from? I know that in my life, I associate the song with the Civil Rights Movement, with Black History Month, and also with celebrations of the life of Dr. Martin Luther King. And recently, At my church, the children sang this song, and they so inspired me in what they sang and how they sang it. The song is a very difficult one to sing, and yet the children did a beautiful job. It was so inspiring. In fact, it really brought me to tears, their rendition of this song. And I want to talk about it today, and I want to unpack its history where it came from, why it was commissioned, what did it mean? So the song takes us back to two brothers, two brothers in the late 1800s. And at that time, Black people in the United States were going through the Reconstruction era, and they had really enjoyed a number of gains, and things were looking much better than how they had been under the time of slavery. However, in the late 1800s and going into the early 1900s, many of those freedoms were being eroded by the Jim Crow era. And because of Jim Crow, there was a lot of pain amongst people of African descent throughout the United States. And there were a lot of barriers and challenges and difficulties. So around about 1900, James Weldon Johnson He was the chair of the Florida Baptist Academy, and he decided that he would write this song, which was really a poem at the time, that the children really could recite for the deceased President Abraham Lincoln's birthday. And so as he was thinking about writing the song, he said, because of all that was going on in the United States with African-American people, He wrote about the struggle of African-Americans following this Reconstruction era and all that was going on. So the song was designed to really highlight that struggle and also to call people back to their spiritual roots as well. Not that they had left, but just to remind them that God was really present in their lives in spite of what they might be experiencing and seeing every day. Now, James Weldon Johnson had a brother named J. Rosamond Johnson, and J. Rosamond Johnson actually later added the music to the lyrics, and hence we would then have the song. So the song was first sung in Jacksonville, Florida, which is where the brothers lived, and that's when the children recited it in that first year, 1900. And in about 1901, there was a great fire. And the brothers left the Jacksonville area and they moved to New York City. They were interested in Broadway. 
They forgot about the song, weren't even thinking about it. However, back in Jacksonville, the children were singing the song in their schools. And then as they grew up, they would become teachers and so on. And then they would teach it to their children in their schools and sing it. And then eventually the song spread beyond Jacksonville to most places in the South in the United States. So people knew of the song and they were singing it. So finally, right around about 1919, the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, as it was called, they declared the song as the Negro National Anthem. And of course, it later became known as the Black National Anthem. Although it's been sung for years and years since the time that it was written in the Black community, a lot of people outside of the Black community are not aware of the song or are less aware of it. However, in recent times, after the George Floyd murder and incidents of police brutality and so many other things going on in our current world, the song has risen to mixed group popularity, and it's been sung at NFL Super Bowl games and in other public places and venues as people are looking again for inspiration at a very difficult time. So I would like to go through the song. It's three different verses, and I'd like to really talk about each one in turn. So I'm going to read the first verse and then talk a little bit about what it means to me and what I see in it. So in the first verse, it says, Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. So in this first verse, just to imagine, it's a difficult time, and yet the times prior to that were even more difficult in terms of the when this song was written. The first line says, lift every voice and sing. So even though times are tough, the call is to sing and to sing together, everyone to sing. And it says, till earth and heaven ring. And when I hear that, it reminds me of the Lord's Prayer. And it reminds me of the biblical injunction that we pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know that God's will in heaven is already taking place. It is perfectly expressed in heaven. Here on earth, is another story. God's will is not fully manifested here on earth in terms of his highest good and glory for humankind, because God has given men choice and men have chosen in many ways unwisely. So when I hear till earth and heaven ring, till God's will comes together for both heaven and earth is what it reminds me of. And it says ring with the harmonies of liberty. When people have liberty, there is harmony, and that's the intent, to get to the point where our society rings with the harmonies of 
liberty and says, let our rejoicing rise. We are rejoicing, not because things are great. We are rejoicing because of the God that we serve. It's as high as the listening skies. Well, who's listening in the skies is God himself. God is listening as his people cry out to him from the earth. And it reminds me of the Israelites in the Bible, because as they would be oppressed, for example, in Egyptian bondage and slavery and cry out to God, God heard, God listened, and he sent a deliverer to them in the form of Moses. And so here is the same kind of a analogous situation that there's rejoicing rising because there's a God in heaven and he is listening. So it says, let the song, let the singing resound loud as the rolling sea and sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. And one thing that is certainly clear to me, there is no way as African-American people that we would have survived everything we've survived and have even a remnant left in this country had it not been for the God that we serve and the faith that we have in that God. I do remember when I was in Ghana and I was in one of the slave castles, as they call them, which is really more of a slave dungeon, where enslaved people were held prior to the ships arriving, and then they would be loaded onto the ships. The doors in those buildings are called the door of no return. And I was on a trip with other psychologists, and we were doing the ritual of returning. And one of the things that the people wanted you to do at these doors. And I remember standing at one of the big doors. Some of the doors are small and you can barely get out of them. Some are really large. So this was a large door. And as they tell the story of everything that happened and all the atrocities that happened in those buildings, the intention would be that you would become so enraged and upset. However, when I heard of all the ways that people could die on the African side, and then in the Middle Passage, and then over here in the Americas, I really was in awe of God's ability to preserve a remnant and for me to be a part of that remnant in terms of my family history and African-American background. And so sing a song full of faith that the dark past has taught us, yes, it was a difficult past, a dark past, and yet we had faith through it so that we could sing a song full of hope because they had come to a slightly better place, even though some of those freedoms were about to be eroded at the time. And it says, facing the rising sun of our new day begun. So this new day was beginning. The sun was rising, and yet it was challenging. He says, let us march on until victory is won. So no matter what's going on, don't stop. Continue to march on until victory is won. And then the second verse says, stony the road we trod, bitter the chastening rod felt in the days when hope unborn had died. Yet with a steady beat, have not our weary feet come to the place for which our fathers sighed. We have come over a way that with tears has been watered. We have come treading our path through the blood of the slaughtered, out from the gloomy past, till now we stand at last 
where the white gleam of our bright star is cast. So when I think about the second verse, I see this stony road. And imagine walking on a stony road. You might not even have shoes as you're crossing this road. And as you're walking on the stony road, your feet are tired. They're weary. And there are people chasing you with rods to beat you, even as you're going across this road. And as you're going across this road, there are tears because of the pain and the suffering. And as you're walking across the stones and the rocks, the bloodshed of your relatives and ancestors is spread all across that ground. And it's a reminder then of that gloomy past, if you will. Yet, in spite of all of this, in spite of the fact that hope, which was raising up and unborn, had died because every time it was getting beaten back down, Yet with a steady beat, even with weary feet, they were coming to a place for which their forefathers had sighed. They were coming to a place that they could stand on that had the white gleam of a bright star ahead. And so the journey isn't always easy. If we think about biblical people, for example, there were many times that God's people, the Israelites, suffered great oppression, great difficulty at the hands of their enemies. And yet God was still with them, and he still continued to deliver them out of many circumstances and situations. They were not forsaken. They were not abandoned even in the midst of all that they were going through. And I have to think that for the African-American experience, these accounts of what God did with and for Israel are reminders that there really is a God who cares about our tears, cares about the rocks over which we are walking, these stony roads and the beatings and the bloodshed and everything else that is going on. So this brings us to the third verse, which says, God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who has brought us thus far on the way, thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path, we pray, lest our feet stray from the place, our God where we met thee, our hearts drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee. Shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand true to our God, true to our native land. So when I hear this last verse, and it is acknowledging that, yes, we have a God who sees our silent tears. We have a God who's been with us in our weary years. We have a God who's brought us thus far along the way, or we wouldn't even have gotten this far. Makes me think of this old song, we've come this far by faith. And it's all about leaning on God, because without him, we wouldn't get there. We wouldn't make it. And it says, it's by God's might that he's led us into even this little ray of light. Sometimes that we see, we don't always see the full manifestation of light, but it is a ray of light that we see. And they're praying, 
Keep us forever on the path, we pray. God's path, the right path, because so much can really tempt you to get off of God's path and into a place of bitterness, a place of crime or place of retribution. However, the prayer is keep us forever on your path. And then it says, lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee. So God met us in the difficult places, led us through the difficult places and to the light. So when we get to the light, when we get to the better place, we don't want to be so drunk with the world and all that it holds that we forget the God who's brought us through all of that challenge and difficulty. And it talks about being shadowed beneath God's hand, or I think being held and cradled in God's hand, even as all of this is going on. And they say, may we forever stand in that place, in God's place, in God's hand. Stand true to our God, true to our native land. And when I think about true to our native land, it's kind of a double entendre sort of a meaning because the people who were writing this song and the people who were reciting this poem, they were Americans born on American soil. This is our native land. We have built this country. And yet we also have a history on the African continent as well. And so we are native sons of both places. We have some heritage, if you will, in both. And that's useful and good to know about. Many have mistakenly thought that by calling this the Black National Anthem, that some really wanted to be separatists and apart and have their own country outside of the United States. However, that's not the intention at all. It's to recognize that the African-American experience in the United States is not always and usually is not the same as the white American experience in the United States. There is a trail of tears of sort, just like on the Native American side of my family, there's a trail of tears also on the African American side as well. So there are several points I want to bring out of this study today. Number one, no matter how gloomy or bleak the day, hope is on the way. Number two, God sees and hears all. Three, faith is what has gotten us this far. And four, even as weary feet travel the stony road that's covered by the blood of the slaughtered, we still travel to the bright star. Number five, through weary years and silent tears, God leads us to the light. Six, stray not from the paths where we met God. God is still with us. And seven, we stand shadowed beneath God's hand. He still holds us in his hands. And so as we close today, I want to turn to Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, and read verses six through 10. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, 
of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. This is God's promise to the Israelites, the Jewish people. And in it, I see the character of God. He's bringing us as people to a better place. And let us not forget who he is. Let us not forget to honor and serve him when we get to the better place. That's the message. That is the warning. We've come this far by faith, and we're going to lift every voice and sing. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.